Would you open up in your Bibles? We're going to be over in the book of Genesis, chapter 15 and chapter 16, but I had to scrap chapter 3. So I was intending to get to chapter 3 today. I'm not saying we're not going to get there, um, but uh, sometimes it's dangerous when you leave me alone to study. And I started out yesterday, I thought, well, I'll spend the morning, I'll study, and then I'll go into the shop and I'll do the things that I have to do to get the, the bunk beds out. And, well, I never got into the shop. And I've been toying with you, teasing every once in a while, telling you some things about Genesis chapter 3, that I think the world in the book of Genesis is different than when we think. But I said I need to be able to prove it, I need to be able to have a better understanding on that. I can prove it. I can prove that the world was different than we think it was in, the, in Genesis 2 and 3. We already went over Genesis 1. We're not talking about that. We already talked about the creation account and the things that are going on with that. and A lot of uh, misconceptions have gone on about, the, about that. But we're talking about the state of man in Genesis 2 and Genesis 3. But you're going to have to wait till next week for that. There's a lot of... Uh, a lot of questions that surround that I don't think have been thoroughly answered. Some of the things that went on with the curse that was put on the serpent. Was it a real serpent? Was it the serpent that we think we see here now? What was the curse that was put upon him? How have we seen that, that go on? Because some of the things that are said don't seem to make sense. But we'll have to wait for all that until next week. We got started on this, this part. Of course, we're still in our questions Series And there's a question that a lot of times comes up inside of people. And this question can get you in trouble. Am I happy? How many have ever had that question come up on the inside? Am I happy? That is one of the most dangerous questions for you to entertain. I'm going to show you why. Because in the, in the Word of God, you won't see anybody thinking this, because once again, like we talked about last week, the Word of God does not always talk about people's thoughts. It talks about what they say. Once in a while we get into thoughts, but it talks about what they say. So you've got to spend a little bit of time to figure out what was thinking to produce this. So that's what we're getting into. And we're going to take a look at uh, one very famous couple. Like I said, I was hoping to get the two famous couple. How many saw the post I put up on Facebook? I appreciated all three of you that uh, liked it. But there's, this is the question that comes to our minds as believers. Am I happy? And it will rob you of things. It will take you out of where God wants you to be, where God has placed you, and I begin to question the things that God has actually given you. It's a very dangerous question, but it comes in so innocent that it doesn't always get the attention that we give it when we're seeing an attack from the enemy. But we're actually going to show you today three different people that probably entertained this question. Am I happy? Let me just review for you once again. Questions that get God's attention contain these five things. They are questions of faith. They are questions of trust. There are questions of patience, contentment, and thanksgiving. These are the things that they are. In Genesis chapter 15, 
Genesis chapter 15. Abraham is approached by God and answers him very sternly. In fact, when he starts this off, after these things, verse 1, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. How many people here today, if God came to you in a vision tonight, would be mad at Him? Nobody? You would be grateful, wouldn't you? Would you be glad God came to you in a visit, vision and spoke to you some things? After these things is after Abraham had defeated five kings in battle. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? So I pondered that question. How do you get this response from God showing up in a vision, telling you things that are good? How do you get that response? Because somehow this question came in, Abraham, are you happy? Are you happy with how things are? Now let's take a look at some of the things that are reasons for Abraham to be happy. I had to cut all of them out of your outline because I just didn't have enough room. You don't have to write any of these things in, but these are why we're down. First off, reasons to be happy. He was visited and called by God. Abram was visited and called by God, specifically. Wouldn't that make you happy? If God visited you and gave you your call. Second, he was singing out for God to work through to bless all nations. Abraham, I am going to bless all nations through you. His name is Abram right now, I know, but I'm still used to calling him Abraham, but... We're talking about the same guy. I will bless all nations through you. If God promised that he was going to bless all the nations of the earth through you, would that be reason to be happy? He had the promise of a homeland given to him and nations coming from him. Nations. Not even just a single nation. Nations coming from him. There are not a whole lot of nations going on right now. One was going to come from him. Actually, several. He had numerous encounters with the living God. Visions, visitations. In fact, this is his third at this point in Genesis 15. He's going to have more. This is his third. God had blessed him with money, possessions, and protection. He had a lot of money. He had a lot of possessions. And God protected him. Because if you got a lot of money and you got a lot of possessions, you become a target, not just of the devil. There's a lot of people who want to get what you got. And they want to come out. And God protected Abraham. He felt so protected that in the chapter before this, chapter 14, when five kings came and took his nephew Lot, He went after the five kings with his servants, not trained army, with his servants and defeated five kings and took all their stuff. That's, uh, that's substantial. 
He was so rich he didn't need their stuff. And he gave it back to the people that it belonged to. Now, would that be enough to keep you happy for a while? Would you be happy with stuff like that? Those kind of things going on. He's not. God shows up in his place, in a vision, and says, Hey, how you doing? How are things going for you? Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Not just your reward. Not just your great reward. He is your exceedingly great reward. That's pretty good. He's hearing that and thinking, alright, I got all this stuff. I've defeated five kings. I've got calls. I've had visions. I've got promises of nations. Great blessings coming through me. But I don't have a kid. Not one of my own. He had no child, no heir. This is reasons to be unhappy. Let's take a look at his reasons to be unhappy. You ready for the list? He had no child, no heir. All that he had would go to someone not born to him. Now, I examined the life of Abraham. That's all I can come up with. That's it. If you are the enemy and you've got a man who is blessed beyond measure, blessed beyond anyone else on the face of the earth, the only way that you can come at him is to get him to focus on what he doesn't have. Which apparently was a short list. And all it was was an heir. A child. Abraham, are you happy? Am I happy? Hmm. Well, I mean, things are okay, but I would be happier if I had a child. And see, that begins the mushroom. Why has God blessed me with all these things, but He has not blessed me with a child? I thought God liked me. I thought God was on my side. I thought God was doing great things for Abraham, but He has not given me a child. How can He come up with His promise if I don't have a child? It begins to snowboard. Piling up after piling up, just hitting you. Pretty soon, God comes down in the vision and it all comes out. And Abram says, Lord, what will you give me seeing I go childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. What's he saying this? I don't care how much you give me. Until you give me that, I got nothing. Oof. That's not a good a good place to be. See, this is what the enemy wants to do. He's got to get you to focus off of what you got, what God has done, and get you to focus on something else. He'll do this with husbands and wives. He's not going to get you to focus on all the things they are for you. He's going to get you to focus on all the things they are not. He's going to get you to focus on your children. Not all the things that they are, all the things that they have done, 
What are they not doing? What are they not? It's going to get you to focus on your boss. Not all the things that boss has done. Not all the blessings that job has been to you. But, what could they have done? And so the question comes in, are you happy there? Are you happy in your marriage? Are you happy with your kids? Are you happy with whatever it might be? He wants you to focus on the short list of things that are not so good so that you stop seeing all the benefits you get from the rest. Even with Lot, there was quarreling going on between them and the question could probably come up inside of Lot. Are you happy here with Abraham? I mean, if you went off on your own, just think how much better it would be and you wouldn't have all this quarreling going on. And so he eventually separated and lost everything. Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to them, said to him, So shall your descendants be. God is looking future. This is where they're going to be at. He is looking at where things are now. Verse 6, So he believed in the Lord. And he accounted to him for righteousness. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the, of Ur, of the Chaldeans, to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? How shall I know that I will inherit it? Like we talked about last week, knowing is different from believing. I believe the things the Word of God promises for me. I believe the things the Word of God has taught. This is what God has made you. This is what God has given you. I believe those things, but to know them is to see them. Abram believed God, but he said, how can I know them? The enemy very much wants to get you into a place where you must know them in order for you to believe them. I believe I'm healed when I feel, when I see, when I hear the doctor's report, when I have that knowing going on. Then I believe. As Brother Fred Price was pointing out to us, there's no point in believing if you already know. No sense in that. You already know. Why are you believing with what you know? I'm believing I get paid on Friday. Well, Friday was just last week. Just a, a few days. Did you get paid? Yes, I did. Well, then why are you believing for it? You already got it. We're not believing for things that we have. I'm not in faith for things that we have. There is nothing wrong with being in faith and standing in faith for things that you don't know yet. It's perfectly fine. This is what Abraham was to do. I want you to look out here and look at the stars. 
I want you to see the sand. And really, if you want to think about it this way, God is even going more future than we think. Because He's having them take a look at, you see the stars in heaven? That's going to represent all the people that were born to you that are now dead. You see the sand? That's going to represent all the people that are born to you that are on the earth. You're going to have so many on the earth and so many up in heaven that you won't be able to count them. But whether he came out at nighttime or whether he came out in the daytime, he's able to see. He's able to see something. But he still can't see the child. So he says, how will I know? How will I know if I'm healed? How will I know if I got that job? How will I know if my finances are taken care of? How will I know? Because we want to have believing and knowing going side by side. This is what the enemy tries to get you to do. Because if he can get you to to see that knowing is the same as believing, that once you know it, then your belief has come home. If he can get you to buy into that, and he's going to get you to lose everything that you got. Am I happy? If you entertain that question, he's going to be coming on in. He's going to show you all kinds of shortfalls with your spouse. Shortcomes in your family, in your job, with your neighbors, with your friends, with all the things you got. He's going to show you all kinds of shortcomings with it. He's going to show you how shortcoming your car is. No matter what it is that you got, he's going to say, it could be better. It could be better. How shall I know it? So the question, are you happy? It generated thoughts and feelings contrary to what God spoke to Abram. God spoke some things to him. This question is is generally thoughts and feelings that are contrary to what God spoke to Abraham. He's feeling these things. When you are entertaining that question, am I happy? How many of y'all know you're feeling some stuff? I'm feeling some dissatisfaction with what's going on. I just need to talk to somebody about what's going on. I need to talk to somebody about this dissatisfaction. And we call somebody up on the phone. And we start talking to them on the phone. Do you know what they did? And we begin to tell them about what they did from our perspective. On things like that. And then that just stirs up those feelings even more, doesn't it? Smith Wigglesworth, it's been a while since I heard the story, but I can't remember what generated it. But I know that he said to somebody who had asked him a question, he said, I don't ask Smith Wigglesworth how he feels. I tell him. <laughs> now, he's a brass kind of a guy, and you can certainly see him doing that. But we got to get more of that kind of an attitude going on. I don't tell my body how... I, I don't want to listen to my body. How do you feel? No, 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 no. I tell my body how to feel. I tell it. Body, you're healed. Body, you are happy. We tell our body what we do. And you you can learn this in other areas beside these kind of things. And, you know, I, I tell you my stories from the from the running perspective because that's how I learn it. But you all have places that you go and that you can do some things. But when I wake up in the morning and I don't, I feel the cold or the rain or the whatever's going on and I, it's, I'm not moved to feel like 
I want to go out and run. I tell myself, no, you will run. Oh, you will. Just for that, you're running further. I tell it. Now, I've done it enough times. My body does not put up a fight. Because it knows I was going to go out for this long. Now we're going out longer. And I, I squashed it. Because I would tell it how it felt. I'm sometimes out there running and going along. And my body says, I'm tired. Tough. I don't care how you feel. We're going to get this done. We're going to do this thing. And I learned that there. You can learn it in other areas. No matter what it is that you do, you can play an instrument. How many times do you not feel like playing the instrument? How many times do you not feel like going to work? How many times do you not feel like doing a particular chore? And you tell yourself, I will do it. See, you're practicing faith. You're practicing that faith walk. No, I will feel this way. When your body, when your feelings, when your emotions got all stirred up and you want to feel angry at someone, I will not feel angry. Well, you can't just do that. Yes, you can. Because what happened that you felt angry? Somebody said something. Somebody did something. So if somebody's saying something and somebody doing something can start the anger, then you saying something and doing something can stop it. Doesn't that make sense? You can stop it. But most times we go out there and we say stuff and we do stuff that doesn't stop it. It keeps it going. It keeps it going. My dad used to tell this story. I haven't told it to you for a while, so you may not even remember it. But it was, a, it was one of his favorite stories to tell us. It was the story of the Christian horse. I don't remember the story of the Christian horse. I know my mom will remember this because she's heard it more times than I have. Anybody ever heard the story of the Christian horse? There's a story of a Christian horse. This man, he wanted to go out and he wanted to, he wanted to get a horse. And so he saw this price in the paper for a horse and it was amazingly low. I don't know what horses go for, but I know horses are generally pretty expensive. And this was super cheap. He said, there's no way anyone would sell a horse this cheap. So he heads on out to the, to the farm. He checks it on out. He looks at the horse. Horse looks good. Look, horse looks strong. Everything about this horse is fine. He says, I don't understand why you're selling this horse this cheap, but uh, I can't see anything, anything wrong with it. Uh, I'll take it. He said, that's fine. All right. So he paid him the money, and as he, he paid him the money, he says, now there's one thing about this horse. Here it is. Here's the catch. Now it's coming. Now I get to find out. This horse is a Christian horse. What in the world is a Christian horse? If you want this horse to go, you need to say praise the Lord. If you want this horse to stop, you say Amen. Well, it might take a little adjusting, you know. But I can get used to that. That's fine. And so he gets up on the horse. Praise the Lord. Horse goes. He's hopping along. He's going along pretty good. Just riding along this. Everything is going fine. This horse is a good horse. Praise the Lord, he says. Horse goes a little faster. So he's riding around this horse for a while. and It's been a little little while. And so um, he notices that you know, we're, we're kind of heading towards a cliff. What was I supposed to say to make this horse stop? 
He couldn't remember what he was supposed to say to make this horse stop. All he could think of was praise the Lord. Horse, go faster. Finally, he remembers. Oh, he said amen. He finally, he says amen and the horse stops right on the edge of the cliff. Praise the Lord. How do we get off in a story like that? <laughs> the words that you say with your mouth have an effect. They will cause things to move. They will cause things to stop. But you have the control. When that question comes in, are you happy? I am happy. We have a look at this in your life. I don't care what's going on over here. I am happy. I am glad for everything that God has given me. When you get that question, are you happy? The enemy is going to try and point out that what you have is inadequate. You deserve more than people do for you. Others don't respect you. If God would only do, fill in the blank. Your situation is good, but not great like it should be. It should be better. Has God done what He promised? You see, if you entertain that question, am I happy? Well, let me ponder that. Let me think about that for a little bit. It's kind of like in the morning, the question might come up, are you running? I think a long time ago, my wife used to ask me that. She don't ask me that anymore. <laughs> There's no reason to ask that, that question. There's me more, when are you running? And generally, I run in the, in the early morning time because I put it off till later on, something happens and it doesn't quite go as well, so I just try and do it in the, in the early morning time. But there's some questions you just don't ought to ask. Should I read the Bible today? Should I pray today? No, you don't want to ask those questions. I am reading my Bible today. I am praying today. I am going to help people today. I am going to spread joy today. You determine, no, no, this is what I'm going to do. Well, what if you don't have the opportunity? I will make it. Now, the story goes on here down in chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. And Abram had dealt... Ten years, or dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. So he went into Hagar. She conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress, mistress became despised in her eyes. Now Sarai's being asked this question too. Sarai, Sarah, are you happy? Well, no. I'm not happy. I, I would like to be able to have a child. 
And she, she may be looking at all the things she doesn't quite have in her life that she would like to have. This is one of them. She had a, an Egyptian handmaid that was there. Sometimes we, uh, we look at this, this, this servant thing. How many know that in the Bible there are slaves, there are servants? This kind of thing is going on. Uh, in this particular situation, God doesn't seem to say a whole lot about it. So people begin to think, well, God must like there to be servants. In her case, she is a slave of Abram and Sarai. Well, why is God using somebody who has a slave? And we can begin to ask all these kind of questions on this thing and you can come up with all kinds of answers and get angry at your God. But, here's what I determine to do. I don't determine the will of God by looking at people. If you determine the will of God by looking at people, you will miss it. Because I don't know if you know this or not, but most people don't follow the will of God. It might come as a complete shock to you, but most people in the church do not follow the will of God. So why am I going to learn off of that? I learn the will of God from God and what He has written to me in His Word. This is what I know about my God. I'm not going to get into it all, but I'll get into it a little bit for you. Jesus gave His life so we could be free. So God's will is freedom. But not everyone walks in freedom. Someone not walking in freedom does not mean that it's God's will not to walk in freedom. Jesus forgives all who ask. But not everyone asks and not everyone walks in the same forgiveness towards other people. That doesn't mean that's God's will. I know what God's will is. Whether you walk in forgiveness, whether you forgive the people who wrong you, or whether you let God forgive you of the things you've done, it makes no difference in me understanding what God wants. I understand that God wants forgiveness. I understand that Jesus loves all, but not all love Him. And not everybody walks in the same love that He walks in, even though He put His love in them. I know that. So I don't learn the love of God from watching how people operate. The fact that people do not walk in the same attitude of God does not mean that God doesn't have that attitude in saving, forgiving, loving. So why would this be any different? My God gave His life so that people could be free from the bondage of sin. He gave His life, the life of His Son, so that people could be free from the bondage of sin. God wants people who set people free, not ones who put them in bondage. When Jesus walked in the face of this earth, there were Pharisees and Sadducees who put people in bondage. What was His attitude towards them? And there were people who operated in a way to put people in freedom. Well, He gave the story of the man that was forgiven a great debt and the Master gave him freedom. Relieved him of the debt. And he went out and didn't do the same. He eventually lost that forgiveness that he had because he wouldn't give it out to others. 
I don't ever question whether my God wants slaves in this world made by anybody. I don't ever question it because I know from his attitude that he has in his word towards bondage. I don't question it at all. But I know that there's a whole lot of people who don't quite follow that. There's been a whole lot of people in the body of Christ that God has used in the area of healing, that God has used in the area of ministry, that God has used in the area of prayer. And their outlook on everything in life has not been perfect. So I know that my God will use imperfect people to accomplish His will and get it out to other folks. But don't ever think anything in the Bible supports that people should hold others in bondage. A whole lot more I could say on that. Don't have time. It's enough to get you some, some attitude. Don't mimic other people's bad attitudes and say it's God's. That is not going to help you out. So let's take a look at her strategy here for this question, am I happy? She's beginning to think, what do I need? Well, first off, we blame the Lord for what's lacking. Nobody here has ever done that. I'm sure there's not a soul person here who's ever blamed God for something, some quality that their husband or wife didn't have. Blame God for some quality that their children didn't have. Blame God for some quality that their job or boss didn't have. I'm sure we never went before God and said, God, why did you put me under a boss that has this? Why did you give me kids that do this? I'm sure we never said that. But Sarah did. Blame the Lord for what's lacking. Look what she says here. It states the facts. First off, she had no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. There's a whole lot of people who come up with ideas about what God is doing that are wrong. She is one of them. God has only spoke blessing upon them. I want you to be fruitful. That's all He's ever said. But He gets blamed. See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall attain children by her. We're not even sure about this plan. Perhaps I may obtain children by her. So first off, blame the Lord for what's lacking. Then come up with your own inspired solution. This is what God can do. God, I can get my head around this. I'm, I've had a hard time with this whole thing of me bearing a child because I'm getting old. Uh, it hasn't worked so far. I don't see how it's going to... But I can understand how this would work. And you know, while she is my servant, so anyone born in the, to her would be uh, technically mine. I'm, the Lord's not looking at it that way. But she is. So please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall attain children by her. Now, I don't know. I know times have changed. But men and women have not. We're basically the same thing. Women, men, think, put yourself in this story. Men, if your wife came to you with an idea. Look, we haven't had any kids. Got a neighbor down the road over here. How about... You take her as a wife along with me and we have children by her. 
How many could see potential that that could go bad? How many would say right off the bat, no, no. But Abraham didn't do that. He went along with it. Because first off, his wife is not happy. And if you do not have a happy wife at home, how many people know it? Think about think about this. I mean, when men and women are different. If the husband is not happy, you may not know it for at least a little while. If the woman is not happy, minutes to hours, you will find out. Because they are not made to contain that kind of information. Men are, are built to bury it for as long as they can. Not saying that either one is good or bad. or not, not trying to say that. I'm just saying this is how we are generally made. And so sometimes a husband may come to a wife and say, I'm not happy. You aren't? I didn't know this. But if the woman is not happy, pretty much the whole household knows it. Isn't that right? We are aware. I'm not saying that she's making everyone's life miserable. I'm just saying that you're aware. Abram knows that Sarai's not happy. This might get her happy. So he decided to get on board with this. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Now, nothing could go wrong if you do what your wife says. Right? Nothing could go wrong if you do what your wife says. If you followed her instructions... Everything is fine. Mm-hmm. So they do. They follow the instructions. Jump on down to verse 5. Then Sarai said to Abram, My wrong be upon you. Alright, I messed up. But I'm blaming you for it. It is your fault. I gave my maid into your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between you and me. It's really easy for us to go off from this story and to think that this is how things were. But I'm going to give you a little bit of a different opinion here. How many think there's a possibility that Sarai's view of Hagar it's not entirely correct. Is there a possibility with a woman who started out not happy, who gave her husband to another woman, that she would feel some contention between her and the new woman in the house? And that she might read into things in that area? All right, think of it this way. Husbands, how many times have you been at home and your wife has said to you, why are you thinking, why are you feeling, why are you doing this? Doing what? No idea what you're talking Because the woman has perceived, picked up on something, because they're built to perceive and pick up on things. May not always be right, but they're built to, to do. We're not built to perceive most men, you got to hit over the head with a brick to get them to understand. Hence, no. Just come right out and tell me. What did you want me to do? And that's how we're, that's how we're made. It's all right. My wrong be upon you. I gave you, 
I gave my maid into your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between you and me. Uh, honey, if you want the Lord to come in here and judge. Now, only Sarah Sarai confirms that this happened. It's stated that it was so, but it's Sarai's opinion. We never hear from Abraham that such was there. And even when the angel approaches her later on, he never brings it up. So Abram said to Sarai, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. Let me reword this for you so you understand it. Abraham went along with the wife's plan. The wife got mad. The wife comes after Abram. Abraham says, look, whatever you want to do to fix it, go ahead. I'm not fixing it. I tried to fix it before you got mad at me. You do whatever you think you got to do. I'm not touching this one. Ever been there? Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. Now, there's a whole lot that probably went on here that you don't get in the Word of God. If Hagar had this intimate relationship with Abram, she's probably feeling a little more connected to him now. Do you think the possibility is there that when Sarai started treating her harshly, that she went to Abram, can you talk to her? Can you help me out? I'm pregnant with your baby. Can you make my life a little bit easier? I kind of think that probably went on. So, going along with her, um, her spiel here, blame Abraham for the results. Assume the thoughts of others in Hagar. Assume their thoughts. She's assuming what she's thinking. She's assuming what her attitude is. Become abusive with your words, attitudes, and actions on others when doing what you asked produced undesired results. I'm sure no one here can relate to this. You have never asked people to help you out. People have come along and helped you out and you got mad at them because they didn't help you out right. You got mad at them because they didn't quite do it the right way. Or the kids didn't quite jump up fast enough. Or the other employees just didn't quite understand what you were trying to say. Right? You never got mad at that. Become abusive with your words, attitudes, and actions on others when doing what you asked produced undesired results. That is not the sign of a spiritual person. That is a sign of a carnal person as much as they come. And you better get it under control. Because you will never get to the place of are you happy if you are this much out of control. She is out of control. She's mad at everybody around her. She's mad at Abram. She's mad at Hagar. She's mad at the child who's not even born yet. And she's mad at God. That's only the people we know in the story. How many other people are in the story that we don't know about? Now, none of this is your fault. None of this is Sarai's fault. There's not a bit of this. Is her. She is perfect in all. Can you tell that from her? She is perfect in what she has done. She has had the right attitude. She's had the right plan. 
It's just all the people around me are not pulling it off right. How many have a Sarai in your life? How many are the Sarai? None of this is your is your fault. It's always what others are doing or not doing for you. You see, you have gotten so far down this road that this question, are you happy, keeps coming up and you keep getting mad at all the things that are happening in your life. You're getting mad at what people are doing. You're getting madder at what people are not doing. You're getting madder at what you don't have. You're getting madder at what you do have. And you're on a cycle where happiness is far from your destination. If only people would blank, I would be happy. For Abraham, if only God would do this, I would be happy. For Sarai, if only people would come through. If only people would do this, I would be happy. As long as what you need is something only others can provide, satisfaction will be out of your reach. You got to get out of that place. As long as what you need is something only others can provide, satisfaction will be out of your reach. For Sariah was a baby. God has withheld it. Respect. Hagar won't give it. We don't know much about her life to know about anything else, but if we knew more about her life, we could probably find the same thing going on. Now the angel of the Lord found her. This is verse 7. Found Hagar. By the spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Yes, yeah, Sarai's giving you a rough time. She shouldn't be doing that. I don't know what's gotten into her. You are so righteous for putting up with all this. He didn't say that, did he? See, God doesn't talk to you about other people. He talks to you about you. I always become extremely suspicious when people are always hearing what God is saying about others. If you want to get on my suspicion list, just keep coming and talking to me about what God is telling you about other people. I may not always come right out and say it, but on the inside, I've put a little check mark. Suspicious. Because why is God talking to you so much about other people when He's not dealing with you on your own? And when He's talking to you about other people, it's making you matter. So why would He keep talking to you about other people? I think you're hearing another source. Angel said, the angel of the Lord said, of course that's Jesus. Return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Now that sounds like God, doesn't it? Telling you what you need to do. Not what someone else needs to do. What you need to do. You're, if you're Hagar, you could say, what you, submit to her. Do you see what she's doing? I'm talking to you. Return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. He didn't correct her. He said, look, you've had a little bit of an attitude. He didn't correct her. That kind of tells me that wasn't there. He just says, submit. Maybe she had stopped submitting. And that's a command to get back under. Or maybe it's a command to continue to do what she has been doing. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son, 
You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. Now here's something that may have escaped you from this. Who put together this plot? Sarai. Who was the one who agreed to it? Abram. Who was basically the victim? Hagar. Now, Hagar has his baby because Sarai has the idea to have a baby through her. But it's Abram's baby. Who names the child? Think about this. Put yourself in the situation right here. Of the three people here, Hagar, Sarai, and Abraham, who do you think is the number one candidate who wants to name this baby? Who do you think? That's exactly what I think. Sarai. I think it's Sarai. She's mad at the world anyway. Don't get in my way. I'm going to name this baby. If it's not her, it's Abraham's baby. He's the father. How? We need more verses. We have to get to heaven. We have to find out what happened here. How does Hagar get to name this baby? Now, she had the vision. Angel Lord came and talked to her. Angel Lord shows up with her. If you're Sarai, are you taking their, this, this girl's word for it? What, you had an angel show up? And they told you Ishmael? This baby's not going to be no Ishmael. How many could see there's a battle that's going on over this baby's name? But we never hear about it. All we hear is that this baby is called Ishmael. I'll tell you something else we never hear. I never hear that Hagar doubts the word of the angel. Never hear it one time. I don't know that she did or didn't, but I never hear that she doubted it. And this baby is called Ishmael. But I, I guarantee when we get to heaven and watch the videotape, there's a battle going on. That baby is born, and Hagar says, this is Ishmael. And Sarah says, no, this baby is. And she's got the baby. She's feeding the baby. She's one who's got the milk. She's feeding the baby. Hi, Ishmael. Good morning, Ishmael. Good night, Ishmael. You want a nap, Ishmael? Ishmael, Ishmael, Ishmael. Every time that she says that, what do you think is going on inside Sarah? Now, Abraham, if he's smart, he's on the... I'm out of this. I'm out of this. You women fight this thing out. I am not getting involved in this one. But I'll bet you there was a bit of a battle that went on between these two women over the name of this baby. But guess which one won out? He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. For she said, I have, have I also here seen him who sees me. Therefore, the well was called bare. Lahay Ro. Observe, it is between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. It does seem like at some point Hagar, Abraham got involved, but I don't know when he got involved. 
but the name Ishmael stuck. Now, how many could see the question brewing for Hagar? Hagar, are you happy? When she's at home and she's being abused by Sarai, the question come in, are you happy? She eventually decided, I am not happy. And what I need to do is to leave here. And she left. She went into the wilderness. She thought it better to be in the wilderness by herself, pregnant, than in the company of Abram and Sarai. Often we seek happiness, but want joyfulness. We often want happiness. We seek happiness, but we want joyfulness. The first is fleeting. Happiness is fleeting and changes based on what we have, feel, see, or expect. The second is independent of these things. It relies on what is internal, not on what is external. The presence of God. Here are some of what the Bible says about joy. In Hebrews 12 and verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He endured hard times for the joy. Because he saw that joy, he knew that joy, that's what I need to pursue. Go after the joy. Second Corinthians 7, 4. Great is my boldness of speech towards you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation. Because joy is independent of what is going on externally. It is dependent on what is happening internally. Happiness depends on what goes on externally, regardless of what's going on internally. It is okay to be happy. But that's not what you pursue. A merry heart does good like medicine, Proverbs 17, 22, but a broken spirit dries the bones. Joy is good. It will help you. Oh, it will help you out. Psalm 16, 11. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In your presence is fullness of joy. Not with stuff. It's in his presence. Romans fifteen thirteen. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Because in believing, I'm not knowing. Knowing is having those things. Happiness wants to know. Joy is okay with the believing. May He fill you with joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans fourteen seventeen. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. I put this... Uh, Quote in your bulletin for you. Joy is not necessarily the absence of suffering. It is the presence of God. Now, the enemy will often try and get you 
to look for the wrong thing. Just like he tries to get you to pursue happiness instead of joy. Are you happy? Try and get you off the pursuit of things that are joyful. But he does it in other areas too. Many want worship, but pursue entertainment. In a lot of churches, people go and they are entertained. But they are not led into worship. Some people are so dependent on entertainment that you cannot put them into a worship setting that will get bored. Because I have not learned how to worship. I must be entertained. If you want the benefits of, of a worshiper, then you've got to pursue it. Not entertainment. Many want understanding of God's word but pursue what is easy to process or adapt to. I want to understand the depths of God's Word, but as soon as I start to hear some things, oh, wait a minute, I don't know if I can necessarily process that. I don't know if I can adapt to that, just like it was when Jesus taught some hard things, and people said, ah, we're out of here. Yeah, we're not handling this too well. I want to understand God's Word until it gets hard, until I can't process some things, it's not as easy. Or, well, I don't know if I can adapt to that because you know, I like living this way. And if the Word's teaching me, I don't know, I don't want to do that. Many want a prayer life, but pursue ritual with re- repetitious and meaningless words. They want a prayer life, but they're not going to have a prayer life because they keep pursuing ritual with repetitious and meaningless words. They keep praying the same thing over and over again. There's no intimacy there. There's no fellowship in that prayer. It's not, it's not happening. Just in, in, in this area too, many people want intimacy but pursue sex and pornography. You can't get intimacy by pursuing sex and porno- pornography. The world thinks that they can and they're lacking in the area of intimacy. That's what they crave. They're not getting it. Now God is not against happiness. But he knows that outside of a life filled with his joy, it will not be had. You won't have it. He wants you to be happy. But you've got to pursue his joy. You've got to go after his joy over all things. Stop pursuing to change the people that are around you. Stop pursuing to change things that you don't like. And look at your life and say, I am happy. And there's any question about it, I'm telling you right now. I am happy. Yeah, but what about this? I am happy. You begin to declare it to yourself. And you begin to take that question that comes up on the inside of you. Are you really happy? And you put it to rest. I am happy. I am happy. I don't care that these things aren't... I have the joy of the Lord on the inside of me. The Word of God attributes the joy to His spring of life. It just keeps coming up, coming up, producing more and more. Happiness doesn't produce anything. I just receive it as a result of having some good stuff. But joy. When you pursue joy, you will find that the people around you become much better. If Sarai had pursued joy, Instead of being nasty with everybody, nasty with Abraham, nasty with Hagar, nasty with whoever else is in the household. 
I get the picture of Sarai, especially in this stage of her life, being one of those people. She's coming. Get out. Get out. How many ever saw that movie, The Proposal? Um, trying to think of who's in it. Uh, Bullock, Sandra Bullock, and Ryan something or other. Uh, thank you. Hey, Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, I mean, they were great together. I like that. We, my wife and I, we saw that on an airplane trip. We were, we were going, and it cut off, I think, on the last quarter. What? <laughs> we had to go home and find it. We wanted to see how it went. But you remember how that thing began? When she came in, people were texting. People were calling people. She's coming. She's coming. Here she comes. Here she comes. Everybody get busy. Everybody, I don't care if you are busy. Look busy. Because she was seen as someone mean evil. No one wanted to be around her. By the end of the movie, she was not that way. And the only thing that changed was her. If you can get you to change, you will change the people that are around you and they will become better, more what you need. But it won't matter because you're happy whether they are or not. Because my happiness doesn't depend on the people that are around me. My happiness depends the joy of the Lord that I have on the inside of me. And that'll be good. We have more to get in on this because there's one more aspect of this and I was going to get into today and we'll show you a whole lot more about that creation. Creation, uh, not the creation story, I'm sorry, the, the fall of man. A lot of misconceptions, a lot of things we don't quite understand or have assumed about that story. We're going to help set some of those things straight for you next week. And don't take my opinion. I don't want to give you my opinion. I'm going to show it to you in the Word. I'm going to show you some stuff in the Word that you have seen before and you never put it together. I'll bet you because I didn't put it together. This is one of those things God woke me up in the middle of the night. Did you notice? I did notice that, but I didn't notice it like you're talking about it. Got up in the middle of the night, pulled my phone, looked at the screen. That's what it says. This was one of those times. Look at that. That's what it said. I didn't see that. I've, I've read that. I've heard that. I could quote that. But I did not see that's what it said. So we have to wait for that till next week. Would you stand up with me? With every head bowed. No one looking around. If you have been entertaining questions like, Are you happy? And it's been messing with you and it has robbed you of stuff in the past, with every head bowed, no one looking around, raise your hand. I want to pray specifically for you. There we go. All right. Father, you see these hands that are raised up. I thank you, Father, that these tactics of the enemy can be identified. And once identified, once exposed, they're brought to light. Oh, we change things from there. Oh, that's not God asking me. That's the enemy asking me. That's the enemy trying to put me on the wrong path. I don't need to be answering that question. I need to find out what's the question God wants me to be asking. And we can put those things to rest in our life. Because are we happy is an insignificant question. Am I doing what you want me to do? Lot lost some very important things in his life because he decided that his situation wasn't good. And he lost everything. 
Saul decided that he wasn't happy with his situation and he lost everything. Jeroboam decided he wasn't happy with his situation and he lost everything. Cain decided that he wasn't happy with his situation and he lost everything. Oh, the list goes on. A whole lot of people entertain that question. And it's a tactic of the enemy to get you to lose what you have. Don't let them do it. Father, I thank you for the way that you're ministering to each person who had their hand raised up here. That you are coming in to them like a flood to show them from your word this is how you maintain the joy. This is what you do. I thank you for the change that will be coming on their life. I thank you for the, the things that will be different. Because we're not entertaining that question. I'm not looking for those things that are external anymore. Now I'm focused on the internal and the joy of the Lord. See some changed people because you're in the business of changing people. Thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Let God change you. Take those things. Every time that question or things along those lines, take it back. No, no, no. I am happy. You tell yourself what you are. This week, tomorrow, we put up the teaching. We got parts three and four, Brother Fred Price.